God is good. Uh, you know, the most important thing, most important thing for me um, as a believer, as a preacher of the word, is the anointing of God. It's like, you know, I've been doing this study on the, on the body and on the body of Christ, but looking at the body, you know, our bodies and seeing things that are used by God and things that attack the body, you know, and things that can even look all right and be good. And, and I just came to this conclusion, you know, over the years, you know, um, let me say it this way. I believe that the body of Christ in the world is plagued with good communicators. Sounds really... Because it's not good communicators God is looking for. It's anointed communicators. It's people that carry the anointing of God because only the anointing can take a simple word and break it and feed us all or encourage us all or challenge us all and spur us all or transform us all. The word of God is transformational. If you remember when the prophet spoke to, prophet Samuel spoke to Saul before he was a, before he was a king, he went to see, he went to look for donkeys and the word of the Lord through Samuel says, you're not a donkey herder anymore, you're a king. And it says this, you can read it yourself, it says this. And he said, now go and you're going to meet, you're going to meet, you're going to meet prophets coming with lawyers and harps down the hill. You're going to meet them at the tamarind tree. And, uh, and it says when he met them that Saul turned around and he was a different man. I'm like, there's the power of the word of God. That a man or a woman can be transformed just as something from God is released. And I pray that for us this morning. Amen. I pray that we all receive something from God that will, that will do something incredible. Last week I learned um, from my daughter. Uh, she says, uh, Dad, do you ever wonder how a corn, a piece of corn becomes a piece of popcorn? Yeah, Naomi. I, I actually, that's a deep thought of mine that I could never find. Whoever thinks of these things, we're somewhere she came across it. And she says, in it, does it a speck, like, of, or I don't even know what to call it, of water. And when it's put in, say, to the microwave, when it's put under that pressure, and, and, and the, the water is heated up, or it's moist, and then it transforms it into something that we all love to do and eat and whatever. And it's like the Word of God. And it's like even pressure of life. That we think that I can't take any more of this pressure. I can't take any more of this pressure. And yet God will even use that pressure to transform our thinking, our mind, our understanding, our insight in who he is and therefore who we are. Because he promises to turn all things for the good. It may look like a bit of corn going in, but it's coming out a bit of popcorn. That should have gotten an Amen. Think life is pressure, pressure, pressure. It's like the enemy is there, life is there, everything is looking bleak and bleak, and God just speaks. And something has changed in us of who, the way we look at Him and the way we look at ourselves. And I want to just speak for a few minutes this morning. Everything was already said. I was like, I'd just give, my, I'd just give an altar call or something and, and forget about this morning. But um, I burn it open up with John 10:10 10, 10, that Jesus has come to give us life and life in all of His fullness. That's not the NLT, that's the NIV. Uh, that I quote from, sorry. And the uh, first scripture I've ever learned, John 10.10. 10, the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. But Jesus says he has come to give us life in all of his fullness. And uh, I had this picture a couple of weeks ago. When we were reading through Luke, so I'm a bit, bit behind in the, in the Bible project. And uh, 
I had this picture of just things bursting into life. And it was such a, a beautiful picture that I'll try paint in a few moments of. And this scripture from I'm going to read from um, Luke sums it up for me, and I'll, I'll build around it. So it's Luke 24. If you want to listen or you want to read, and it says this: on on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood before them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you that he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified on the third day, and be raised again. Then they remembered these words. Moving on. While they were still talking about this, and this is the, went to the room, went back to tell the others, and while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Shalom, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they just saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones. As you see, I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they were all still, while they all still did not believe. Sorry. And while they did not believe it, because... Of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. We'll get back to that in a few moments. The Bible says in Genesis, Everything that God does brings life. Even to death he can bring life. The resurrection. And when you go back to the book of beginnings in, in, in the book of Genesis, it says that the earth was dull and void and empty and darkness over all the, all the earth. It was without form. It was without shape. It was without anything that we know of it. It was without life. And God said, let there be light. And God spoke life and light into things that were dull and empty and void of life and darkness and shapeless and formless and all the things. And at one word of God, light was re released. And life produces life. And life started to happen all around the earth, which is incredible because when you read it, you know, someone ever said, oh, you know that old thing, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Well, Genesis tells us what comes first. That God created. He created the chicken and the chicken started to lay eggs. And things gave birth after themselves, but the first thing had to be born. So there's the answer to that age-old mystery. God said, let there be chickens. And can you imagine the sound released in the air? There was chickens. Let them be birds of the air. And pow! 
There was birds of the air. That everything he spoke, he just breathes life in. And he still breathes life into things that are shapeless and formless and empty. He's still doing it to us and in this world. Today, I love when you just read in Genesis. And it's like it talks about the trees of the earth. Trees just came out of the ground. God said, let there be oak trees and these big massive oaks. And then they bear to give seed after to produce after their own kind. Everything dull and dead, darkness and dingy, and God just spoke and there was life. Can you imagine the first burst of life when the flowers just... What a lady bored. The first time it just opened his little wings. Most tulips bursting with life. Daffodils bursting with life. Roses just... Life everywhere. And then God, then he took mud, earth, and shaped it. He spoke everything else into existence, but he made man. The pictures, English translations, doesn't do God justice most of the times. But the imagery of the Hebrew is that he, he molded with his own hands, shaped man. Out of the earth. He wasn't just going to speak man into existence. He was going to create man. He was going to mold him and shape him. And what was formed is an empty line on the ground. It says he came down, stooped down and breathed it. Can you imagine that piece of dirt on the ground? Now God breathing. Wow. Wow, life. Strength. Vitality. Now looking around at what God had created. Now looking around at what God spoke into existence. He still breathes into lifeless things. He is still doing the same. When Jesus walked on the earth, when Jesus came, what did he do? Pick any situation out of the Gospels. You'll see everywhere Jesus seen death, he spoke life. The widow of Nain. He's still speaking life into men and women and giving back mothers and fathers their children. I've lost my son, I've lost my daughter, and Jesus comes along and breathes life. The woman with the issue of blood. No hope, everyone giving up hope on her. Till she met life. Till life walked into her life. Till she reached out and pushed beyond all the dead religion, all the dead things around her. She says, I know where I see life. And I'm going to get some of that. And that's what it says. Virtue left Jesus. Power left Jesus. Life left him. Because this woman pushed through in faith and says, I'm going to have some of that. The ten lepers. Remember they came and Jesus said, go and show yourself to the priests. Go and show them that life has made your life different. He's still doing it. Blowing Bartimaeus. Jesus, son of David. Have mercy on me. And Jesus says, bring him here. I'm going to show him that I'm still doing what my father tells me to do. And my father says to those who are in darkness, let there be light. And he sees the light. And then in that piece of scripture that I read, they take Jesus to the cross. Jesus defeats death. Because life swallowed death up in its victory. Just swallowed her up. Went down to death's house. Took the keys, the weapons, the lawyers. 
know the thing about the enemy? He's so pitiful he doesn't even have the keys to his own house. Because life went in and took them off of him. Nailed Jesus to the cross. Can you imagine Jesus' lifeless body? Although his body was lifeless, Jesus was still going down taking the stuff away from the enemy. When that flesh and blood lying there before the women got there, and Paul tells us that the very power that lives in us is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Can you imagine when that resurrection power hits the natural body of Jesus? The death of Jesus changes the face of everything. The resurrection of Jesus changes the face of death for all God's people. Death is no longer a prison, but a passage into God's presence. The resurrection says you can put truth in the grave, but it will not stay there. We live and we die. Jesus died and lived. You can't lock her up. John Stoss says this, that the resurrection says that you can put truth in the grave, but it won't stay there. You can nail it to a cross, wrap it in a winding sheet, and shut it up in the tomb, but it will rise again. Amen. Because death was swallowed up. And he's still doing it. He's still bringing dead things to life. We were all dead, Paul says, in their sin. We were all dead. Do you remember Nicodemus goes, goes to, uh, to Jesus and he, he says to Jesus, look, what's, how can I get into this kingdom thing? And Jesus says, unless you're born again. There's two things he says to, him, to verse 7. Unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God and you can't enter the kingdom of God. Because dead men and women don't come into it. He says, that's why people, do you know when people say, which we've all probably said it to the person who told us about Jesus, they're mad. That's dead people trying to look into life. They can't figure out, so the only thing we can say is, they're mad. Now we can look from life and see them in darkness and, and, and poor in spirit, but they can't see what we see. They, they're like, I don't know what's after happening to know, but he's gone off his head. Because that's their only explanation. They can only speak that but from our point of view of life, we speak life into their lives. We preach the message of the gospel to them. And Jesus says, they can't even see it. You can't see the kingdom. You can, it's like, you know, if you got a piece of glass when you were a kid or a piece of, uh, if anyone remembers, the LucasAid bottles. Remember with the plastic on it? And uh, you'd look through, you can see there's all stuff out there. We can't quite make it out. Like a blurred glass, they're seeing us like, I know there's something that's joyful or... That mad. But when we're born again, now we enter into life. Because Paul tells us this, right? That we've all fallen short. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then he tells us in chapter 6 of Romans that, that the wages of sin is death. So with all of our sinning, all of our living outside of the kingdom and not being born again, he says there's wages for that. And it just produces death. But God's gift is righteousness that leads to eternal life. So, so, so it's like, do you know the wages of sin? you know the way it grabs a hold of you? you know the way it's like, even as believers, when we let sin in, doesn't it just bring death? 
Do you ever sin and you feel the grip of death on your heart or your soul and it's climbing up to, to want to take over again? You know what I'm saying? You just, it's just like it's there. It's like it's back on you like, like a light. It's like, boom, I've sinned. I've condemnation, guilt, fear. Distance from God. Isolation from the body of Christ. It's like it pushes. It's a torment. And then the remedy in 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sin, that you will be, he's, he's faithful and you will be forgiven and cleansed from all unrighteousness, meaning that the righteousness of God now undoes the unrighteous feeling of death that's all around us. The wages of sin is death. And we all, I hope we all remember what it was like to live in, in darkness. I know for me, my friend Michael Finley came to where we were from, Dalton Spar. And death ruled and reigned in every dimension you could imagine in that place at that time. We had buried, last, last service I was at for a thing called Friends Remembering Friends, we had buried 440 young men and women from HIV, AIDS and drug taking. 440, like most of them were about two years ahead of me. Gone, wiped out. Funeral. At certain stages, there was a funeral every week. I, I, I exaggerate not. Doom and death and destruction was all around us. My friend Michael Finley got saved. Life had entered into his death and swallowed her up. And he came and told all of his friends, which was us. And what were we doing? Looking from the wages of sin? Looking from death, trying to make sense of light and life that was in his life. And we couldn't, so we said, look what drugs done to poor McFinley. Until he spoke, until he shared, and there was life in his words. In a dark and doomy place, there was shape being, that was taking place. There was hearts that were saying he was mad, but long for what he had. And living out of the wages of sin. And then he, you, I used to come, bring him up to my house. I said, Mick, me and him used to smoke drugs together. I said, Mick, come on up. And uh, we'll have a bit of, bit of weed for old time's sake. And we talk about Jesus, man. And he came up and I sat in death and he sat in, in, in life. He sat in life. And when he was speaking, it was penetrating something of a shell of a tomb that I lived in. And he says one night, he says, Noel, me and Sharon sitting there. Noel, do you believe that Jesus died for your sin? Here's my only response. Of course I do. Should I teach? The master told me that in school. That's my only reference. The master told me. And he says, Noel, do you believe he died for you? And I says, yeah. But something happened on the inside of me. And the only way I could describe it there and then was, I got a fright. Which, reading that Luke thing, I didn't see that word when I read that, that the women got a fright. They were startled. And that's what happened. I got a fright. Something happened on the inside. And I says, Mick, you have to go. I don't know what's after happening, but you're out here. Like, I don't know how to reconcile all this. Remember, I'm in death looking, trying to look at life. I'm in darkness trying to make sense. I picked him up and says, Mick, you're out here. And I came back in and Sharon says, no, what happened there? I said, what do you mean what happened there? She said, oh, I got a fright when he said that. What? You got a fright? Life had entered us. Life, there was a spark. The, only, the way I can describe it now is it was like 
a dead person being here with a defibrillator. That light, it was hard and dead and whatever. And as soon as that light, that life had, had been spoken and something penetrated all that darkness, all that un, unknown, all that confusion, it was like, I was like, I didn't know what to do with it, so we're true, Mel. And I think that was a toast. And on a Friday, I went over to Five Man Mansions. I bought a bag of weed and I came back. I was sitting in the house, right? And uh, I kid you not, when I think back, I, I really apologize to Sharon so many times. This. I convinced her to go to bed because I didn't want to let her see me doing this again. I didn't care Wednesday, but now I cared. So I convinced her she was tired. She says, you need to go to bed. <laughs> you look awfully tired. And when I rolled up and I lit up, I threw her into the fire. And then I threw the bag of weed into the fire. Because life was at work. Life was taken over. It was penetrating the darkest and deepest parts of my heart, of my life. Our lives changed because life, our homes changed. Our family changed. Everything changed because, because we were born again. We'd been given a new chance that the wages of sin had been paid for. Everything that was against us, now God was working something for us. That life, and he's still doing it. He's still changing lives. He's still bringing shape into deformed situations. He's still finding those who people who are lost and lonely and feel the least in this world. And he's letting his life enter in so that they know that they're not the ones living in darkness anymore. But the ones that are living in light. Tim Keller tried to explain this type of stuff. He says, to be born again means that suddenly spiritual realities that you could not sense before, that were either invisible to you or maybe, um, you, maybe you would say inaudible to you, but suddenly you can sense them because you are given a new sensibility. Amen. The born again believer sees life not as a blurred, confused, meaningless mess, but as something planned and purposeful. To be born again... J.C. Royal says to be born again is, as it were, to enter upon a new existence, to have a new mind, a new heart, new views, new principles, new tastes, new affections, new likings, new adventures, new joys, new sorrows, new loves, to the things once hated, things you once loved, now you hate. New thoughts of God, new thoughts of ourselves, new thoughts about the world and the life to come through the salvation of Jesus. Everything changes. Everything changes. I, 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 I remember, I, like in the flats, like we used to have pigeons that used to be up on the roof, and like you know, like I'm looking at life through a blur. I'm looking at life through the wages of sin. I'm looking at like, and then pigeons up on the like they, we used to call them gignas. I don't know why we call them gignas, but they were all you know, they looked like they'd been dragged through a bush a hundred times, and now they're up there with half a toes and no paws or whatever they have claws. And, and anyway, and and when you be you know, you like it's like every pigeon in the flats had asthma. They, you know when they were they weren't doing that. It was more like a cough and something that was like choking up their lungs. See when we I got born again it was like they were singing zippity doo I'm like even the pigeons sound different the sky is blue the sun is yellow the something warm has been transformed on the inside and anything that represented death was pushed aside broken through let go of because life had burst. Oh, it was like one of those flowers that just burst into life. That's what he's still doing. And then we go through life do I want that fresh today? Absolutely a hundred percent Am I saying that was an experience and that was it? No. 
That this Jesus, he sent the Holy Spirit. Remember the book of Acts, they were all there. They didn't know what was going to happen. Life entered in. Boom. Power was released. They went down and they done the things of the kingdom. Then chapter 4, they needed new life. Remember, they were in the upper room. Again. And it says, Lord, consider their threats because they were now under persecution. They were now getting real hassle. Death was trying to swallow them up again through the form of religiosity or through the Roman Emperor. That was trying to swallow them up again. And they prayed. It says, and the Holy Spirit came and the place was shook. They were all filled and the place was shook to its foundation. Meaning this, he knows we're in darkness. He knows we live in a fallen world. He knows that the old nature tries to bring death. He knows that sin crouches at our door. He knows it all. But he has the remedy. All of the time he has the remedy. And the remedy is to release life into you and me. So that we see different. That we know different. That we sense him different. That we understand them. It says this in Psalm 119 verse 130. Put that in your pipe and smoke. 119, Psalm 119 verse 130. At the entrance of your word it brings light. At the entrance and gives understanding to the simple. Or says I'm in there Lord. (laughs) I don't claim to know her all Lord. I'm just a simple man. At the entrance of your word. Have you ever been there? You said it earlier on, Bridget. That like just something of God. What was it? Isaiah you quoted. That though your sins as red as scarlet. The entrance of the word. Just new life. You're in a dire situation. And maybe even the situation hasn't changed. But the entrance of the word brings light. Brings life, brings hope, brings a new sensibility of new. Your senses are heightened and aware of the things of God. At the entrance of His word, at the entrance of His word, let there be light. At the entrance of His word to you, there's light, there's life, there's something after shifting inside of us. And He still, what He done in shoulders in Genesis, and all the way through and through the life of Jesus, and even in the end, there's a new heaven and a new earth. It's all new. He doesn't stop. He didn't stop when you were saved. He still wants to bring life and light into places that are dark. He still wants to heal issues like that woman had an issue. He still wants to open doors because that's what he does. That's who he is. You know, I, I don't know. Forgive me if I'm going to moan. But in the last 10 weeks, we've had eight funerals. Of people that I loved and we loved and you loved and some of you knew people and some of you didn't. But it's a lot of death. And not only as a, as a, as a believer, not only as a, a person, but as a pastor. And you're privileged to be with people in their grief. Do you ever walk into a room when there's grief and it's like a coat hanging on you? It's because you care. That you feel that your sensibilities are awakened. What we do with them can be <laughs> can vary. Yeah, I had like a couple of weeks ago, one of our lads, Martin Spencer. We, he was with me Wednesday, and we got news on Thursday that he he's dead. And my body went into a shock of some description, all up my arms, across my shoulders, hair, round my jawbones, locked. 
Like, if you do that as hard as you can, that's the way my body has felt over the last couple of weeks. I was in the bathroom and I got on my knees and I says, Lord, this was like the ninth or the seventh or eighth death. I was involved with every one of them doing the funerals with the families. And I could tell you a hundred stories about what God done in there, but I'm just trying to be real and honest with you. I was on my knees and I says, Lord, if this cup can pass for me, will you take it? No, I don't want I don't want to do another one of these, Lord. Let someone else take over. Let somebody else feel what this feels like. Feeling sorry for myself. And I put on a song. I was still in the bathroom. I put on a song. Didn't know it. It just was next up. It's called My Grace is Sufficient for You. Even though you want the cup to pass for you, from you, my grace is sufficient for you. I'm like, hang on a minute. It was at the entrance of his words. I just said those words. And when he heard them other words, I said, Lord, you know I don't mean that. See, I'm a John 6 person. Do you remember John 6? And Jesus said, eat my body, drink my blood. And they all legged it. And Jesus turns to the disciples. John 6, verse 66. Are you going to go as well? And I says, Lord, I never want to be in that scripture. That's a devil scripture. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, John 6, 6, 6. No, I don't want to be someone who turns away. I'm only someone who walks away. But they said to him, Lord, where else can we go? Who else has the words of life? And we choose life today. And he chooses to release life. And he chooses to speak into your situations. He chooses to speak. Is my body lax in all that I've just said? Absolutely not. I feel it all now. But it's only a matter of time before the word works its way through you. And I want to pray for us. I just want to pray new life, new realities, all them words, new senses, new sensibilities. You know what I realize the devil wants more than anything in this? He can't rob my salvation. But what he will try to rob is my confidence in my maker. When you don't see your prayers answered, he goes for your confidence. When life is beating you around a bit, he goes for your confidence. That's where he goes after. No wonder David says in Psalm 27, I am confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of living. Why? Because the enemy was after his confidence. But God wants to restore and renew and refresh and bring our sensibilities alive afresh to him. That when we walk, when we walk out, well, it's probably not today, but it's tomorrow when we wake up. I don't know about you, I heard a bird singing this morning outside. Like, I haven't heard a bird singing since all of our trees got chopped down outside of our back wall and the big building blocks up now. They're, they're building. I said to Sharon, everybody wants houses for everybody until it's on your back wall. All the trees were all cut down, and this morning I heard the birds. I pray that for us, that you hear things that you didn't think you'd hear again. I didn't think the birds would be gone. I thought they were gone. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I bless you in the name of Jesus. I bless your ears to hear. And every circumstance, situation, failure or success that has blocked your ears, I unstop them today. In the mighty name of Jesus. There was three wells in the Bible in Genesis. One of them was called dispute. The name meant dispute, and the other one meant argument. And God moved them on to a place called Rehoboth, 
which means a place of plenty, a place of growth. And I just speak that over your ears, that any place, any ears that are stopped up, any lawyers we've believed, any circumstance we've failed to understand, situation that we've just seen through our eyes, I pray that you hear God and that it would be produce life and it would produce newness. It produces awareness. I pray for your eyes and my eyes that, Lord, that you would, you would heal us, O oh God, of any, any ailments with our eyes that, that fail to see what you want us to see. I pray, Father God, that we would, we would have a new sense of your nearness and your, 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 your we'd have an awareness, O oh God, of that you're for us like we've never had before, Lord. So Elijah, or Elisha said about his servant, Father, open his eyes. And then he seen that there was more for him than against him. And I pray for eyes, our eyes to be open. And I pray, Lord, and release your word to do what you wanted to accomplish. At the entrance of your word, there will be light and confidence restored and worship, Lord. Worship, Lord, resounding what they, what we see happening around your throne, O oh God. I pray, Lord God, that anything that's out of shape, you'd put it back in. I pray that anything that is formless, O oh God, and purpose has no sense of purpose, Lord, I ask that you'd speak, Lord God, your life, your light, Lord, that brings every aspect of our life into some divine alignment. And I pray out of our bellies, would come rivers of living water, Lord. Rivers that carry life with it. Rivers that carry nutrients. Rivers that carries us into the plans and purposes of God. Could you just stand as I pray this last prayer? You've been sitting, you've been very kind. I say over your life, the Lord bless you and keep you. And the Lord causes face to shine upon you. The Lord lifts up his countenance upon you. The Lord is gracious to you. The Lord grants you his shalom. Jesus, you said it in that scripture in John. Or in Luke, you walked through the wall. And you said, shalom, peace be with you. Shalom means completeness and fullness. Prosperity and favor. And the scripture says that he grants that to you and me. Completeness and wholeness, favor and prosperity. And we receive it by saying amen and amen. Amen. amen.